Okay, so uh, we are going to try to wrap up the book of Romans. So I've taught through, it took almost two years, the book of Romans. We've been through it verse by verse. We are done. I finished right before we left for uh, vacation. But I also told you that it's been two years and you forget some things, right? I don't know if you're like me, but like I forget what I did yesterday sometimes. And so uh, I wanted to take at least a week, maybe two, however long y'all need, and uh, just kind of make sure that we put a bow on this thing and uh, there's nothing that's left kind of cloudy. There's nothing that's left, you know, out there like, well, I think I understood what he said about that, but, you know, and so if you don't have any questions, I just want to kind of review. Uh, I say quickly, but, you know, nothing happens quick around here. So uh, the best I can, just the Book of Romans and put a bow on this thing and, and kind of get moving. And so I told you a few weeks ago, if you had any questions, if there was anything that was just like, that's kind of, I want to make sure I have clarity on that. Uh, now would be the time to ask that. But I was thinking back even this morning as I got up and was trying to, you know, get all this stuff compiled. And, um, you know, when I started the, when I had the idea to teach Romans, I was uh, actively teaching in HBI, and that seems like an eternity ago now and, uh, you know, forever ago. But anyway, uh, the book of Romans is kind of like Paul's thesis on basically salvation. He takes you from, you know, as you were lost, it doesn't matter if you were good, bad, or otherwise, all the way into... Uh, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. I didn't even notice that. You got like the pump-up shoes like we had back in the day. Yeah, I remember like back in the day we had those on the tongue and Nick's over there pumping up his boot. Sorry, I'm totally squirrel syndrome. But I was like, what's he? I have to get a new one before we go on vacation or a new strap. It's like, it's hanging on. I'm telling you, I wait till after vacation the thing will fill up with sand like you ain't ever going to believe. It's going to break. Anyway. I can help you out with that too. Sorry, totally off track, my bad. Anyway, so I, I wanted to teach through Romans because if you can if you can understand the book of Romans, then you have um, a really good head start on understanding the New Testament. And uh, as a New Testament believer, you know, as a Gentile, we're not Jews, obviously, uh, understanding the New Testament is key to you. And so not that the, the Old Testament doesn't matter. So I say all that to say that's that was kind of my mindset behind it, is if we as a class uh, could, could really understand the Book of Romans, then you're going to have a head start. And so I say all that to say the beginning of 2020, I was really excited about it. Well, if you guys remember, 2020, you know, it, it wasn't exactly normal. And so I was, as I was going through this, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember teaching this from my kitchen table because, you know, we were having to do this online. That was fun, you know, and all, all the different stuff. And so as I was going through it, I'm like, there really could be some things that people missed out on or they just didn't quite understand it. And so I want to make sure if you had a question, you can ask it. And if not, like I said, I want to put a bow on it. Um, I kind of have an idea of where we're going. Okay, so I do have an idea of where we're going next, um, but I'm not going to get into that yet because, you know, we'll see. And so I always think I can do it in a short amount of time, and a short amount of time turns into several months. And so uh, we'll go from there. I'll just tell you, it's Old Testament. We'll just, I'll, I'll go there. And so uh, anyway, so is there anything before I just start reviewing this thing, you know, chapter by chapter, that somebody's just like, I don't, I want clarity on that. Is there anybody that's got like a, that didn't make sense to me? Romans chapter 7 was a tongue twister. Like anything that somebody's just like, I don't understand, right? I really hope it's not the HBI guys because they've heard it twice now. So if they couldn't get it after two times, I'm like, I really am a bad teacher. Uh, Mitch is like, okay, I'm not going to ask it now. <laughs> All right, so 
anyway, if you have something along the way, and like I said, today is going to be more, and this isn't really my style, but more teachy, you know, just kind of like I'm going to run through, this is what it was about, just to kind of refresh your memory, and like I said, put a bow on this thing, and uh, it's a little different than normal. Normally, I try to make sure that you don't ever leave here without having something that's just like, oh yeah, I need to make sure that's where I'm at, or you know, but today might be a little different than that, sorry, so, but I want to wrap this thing up, and so, anyway, so Romans you have to remember Paul was uh, was writing a letter to a church he'd never been to or a group of churches he'd never been to. All these other ones, like, so Paul went on his missionary journeys and he started the church at Corinth. He started the church at Ephesus. He started the church, you know, in all these different cities, right? And so a lot of times if you read, like, the book of Corinthians, he's writing a, a, a letter to a church that, you know, not only did he start, but he knows all the people at, you know, he, he knew everything. The book of Romans was different because... They had basically started their own church out of the churches that he had started, and he'd never been there. And so it wasn't so much like, if you read Corinthians, Paul's like writing a letter to the Corinthians saying, hey, uh, you guys are, uh, I mean, I don't really know a better way to say it. You guys are acting like a bunch of idiot sticks, and you need to get your head out of your, you know, you know, you know. But the book of Romans isn't like that. He was just like, hey, I've heard that you guys are doing the right thing, and I want to encourage you to continue to do the right thing. And so that was kind of why he wrote it. He hadn't even been there yet. And so... Uh, like I said, it's it's like his thesis. I don't even really I don't even know really know what that word means. I just know it's I, I kind of do, but like it's it's like his. Uh, what, why are you laughing at me? It's like his um, best understanding of salvation from beginning to end is what the book of Romans is. And so in chapter one, obviously he gives his introduction, and then he basically starts right in. He doesn't waste any time at all, uh, and he starts right in on condemning. Uh, everyone. And see, he starts with, you know, the people who everybody condemns. You know, you look out and you're like, well, that person's wicked. They're a drug dealer, right? Or that person's wicked. They're completely uh, anti-Bible. Or that person's wicked. They're completely, right? It, just completely off the map. Well, yeah, obviously everybody knows that people who are uh, anti-anything to do with God, they're probably uh, going to be condemned, right? He starts with those, uh, and he, you know, lays it out. You can go back and, and read it, but he, he's pretty graphic, and he calls out some specific sin, and he's just like, hey, uh, he, he condemns the what we would call the wicked sinners, right? Uh, and then he also, he, he's like, hey, just so you know, there's there's a reward for people like you, right? And he what the, that reward would have been like, uh, God says, I'm going to turn you over to your vile affections. And I, basically, if you're going to act like that, I'm going to let you act like that. Uh, and if that's what you're going to do, then you're going to reap what you sow. And that's basically where he starts uh, in Romans chapter 1. You get to chapter 2, and it gets a little dicey because then he's like okay so you know everybody's standing back in the crowd and they're like yeah I wish somebody would have condemned those people in chapter 1 they're acting wicked right but then he starts in chapter 2 he starts laying into and when I say laying into he starts basically calling out the the quote unquote good sinner right the people who you know I'm a good person you know I do you know it's just a witness to somebody they're like well I do good things right I do enough good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff and you know he, he basically gets into that and uh, he starts to condemn the we call them the white collar sinners right you know the well I clean up nice but you know I still have a heart issue and so he, he gets into them he condemns the the good side of humanity even though good is what good is not godly right and so he calls all them out 
And then in the back, and you'll remember, because this was kind of my, my favorite thing, because this is what religious people do. You know, the religious crowd, the Jews, they're sitting in the back and they're like, yeah, I'm really glad that not only you called out the, you know, the wicked people, but you called out those that think they're good too. Right? The religious people, they're sitting in the back just, you know, yeah, Paul, get them. And then he turns and he's like, and as for you, right? Uh, you're more wicked than all of them. Right? He calls out the religious because he's like, you all knew better. They didn't even know any better. You know, they're out there acting like a fool because they don't know any better. You guys have the law, and you're acting like a bunch of fools, right? And basically he says, you're the worst of all of them. And so what he does in the first two chapters of, of Romans is he takes everybody, lost, uh, good, bad, you know, uh, good person, you know, religious, not. He takes everybody, and he puts them all in one place. Right, because that's what we do in, in in humanity is we like to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? Or at least I'm not as messed up as that guy. You know, that's how you know we are, we're always comparing ourselves with ourselves, and the Bible says that's not wise. And so, Paul in two chapters he takes everybody and he says, hey, now you're all floating in the same boat, right? You're all it doesn't matter if you think you're good or you're not. You're all in the same boat and you're all a sinner, okay? So what do you do with that? Well, then you roll into chapter 3. Paul's like, I'm glad we got there. Now we can move forward. You get into chapter 3, and the religious people are like, well, before you try to throw us into that boat, we have something we want to say. If the law's not any good for us, then why do we even do it, right? You get into chapter 3, and he says, what advantage have the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Like, they're like, hang on a minute. We've been doing this our whole lives. You can't tell us there's not any good. And so they kind of have their rebuttal to what Paul's condemnation and Basically, Paul gets down to verse 23 of chapter 3. And what does it say? Romans 3.23, you guys should know this. He says, For all, not some, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. These are verses that y'all should know. right? I remember back, and this is my bad, because COVID happened and we kind of just dropped our, we were, we were like finding key verses and key themes and, you know, uh, even Meredith probably didn't finish the entire book, but, you know, we, we were going through it and we were doing all that and I had really good intentions of having you guys memorize the Romans Road, uh, but we just didn't do it because COVID happened and we weren't meeting and on all the stuff and so, anyway, but these are the verses you guys should, but in, in chapter three, Paul's like, I don't care what you think of your good religion or your law or all the reasons that you did good things, right? Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what he says in verse 23. And basically at the end of chapter 3, Paul says that, that God is for everybody because he's trying to convince the Jew, not really convince, he's trying to show the Jew that, hey, guess what? The fact that you're a Jew doesn't really help you much anymore, right? Because uh, you didn't accept Christ when he was here. And so he lays all this out for basically the fact to say, hey, the Gentiles get saved the same way that you do now, Jews. And by the way, you need to get saved, Jews. That's basically what he's saying. Because the Jews are holding on to this thought that, well, we're God's chosen people. Go back to the Old Testament and read it. And Paul's like, well, you missed, you know, Christ when he was here. And so that dispensation is coming on, and you guys have missed the boat. And that's kind of how he plays this thing out. You have to understand that as Paul's writing this, he writes it, at least in my head, as like a lawyer, you know, presenting things at trial, right? As you know, like, here are the facts, uh, and you're guilty. <laughs> There's no other way around it. You have nothing to say. Like, here are the facts, and this is where you're a sinner. It doesn't matter if you thought you were good. It doesn't matter if you thought you were religious. Uh, here are the facts. You don't, there's only one way. And that's what he's boiled it all down to. And so that's chapter 3. He completely uh, dis discharges, uh, debunks the, the religious person's thought of, you know, the Jewish religions, uh, religious person's thought of, well, 
I've been following the law. So he, he, he now, at the end of chapter 3, has officially put everybody in the same boat. The Jews are no longer any better than the Gentiles. You're all lost. You all need something, right? And so he spends three chapters getting to where he can start saying what he wanted to say, right? And so some people don't ever get past that. You know, the book of Romans could start at chapter 4 and it would be fine, except for people would think that they were too, you know, too good to understand it or too good to need to understand it. And the whole point is, it doesn't matter who you are, unless you've got the blood of Christ, this is where you're at, right? You're lost and, and it doesn't matter how good you think you are or anything else. And so you get to chapter 4 and Paul's like, okay, now I can teach you something, right? Now we can get somewhere where now you can learn something. Right, and it's it's I I liken it to you know if if somebody was to come on like if if we have a new guy at work or whatnot and we don't have a lot of new guys anymore but like even when my boys come to uh, work with me and whatnot and you can spend a lot of time you know showing them that you don't and I'm not trying to say anything bad about my boys but you don't know what you think you know right and so as soon as you can understand that like you don't really understand what you think you know now I can teach you something right and so it's best you know at least back when I was in the I say the corporate world, but when I was like having people coming through all the time, like the, the best people to hire were the people that had never done anything, right? As far as that kind of work, because the guy who thought he knew everything was worthless to me, because they didn't really know the way that we did things, and that's how we did things. And so, you know, sometimes you have to unlearn somebody, or at least make them understand that they don't really know what they think they know, so you can teach them something. Right? Too often you have people roll into even church and they're like, well, I've been through discipleship over at this other church or I've been through that or I've been that. Right? There was, uh, and nobody would know who this is, but there was a person who told one of the pastors here recently they were a new person and you know, they were trying to, enter, and it wasn't me, but I just heard the story, and they were like uh, introducing themselves and they're like, hey, you know, good to see you and, and everything. And they're like, hey, have you thought about discipling? This person said, uh, I've been discipled to death. <laughs> And I'm like, obviously you totally have missed the boat then because you don't understand. It. Something something didn't catch here. you know. And so too often we have people who come into the church and they think they've got it all figured out, right? Well, I went to church as a kid or, you know, I uh, I thought I, I did this then or, you know, my parents did this. or At some point you have to understand that your relationship with God has to be yours and it has to be personal. It has nothing to do with your parents. It has nothing to do with an experience at a camp when you were a kid. Not that camp is bad. Camp is, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good... But, you know, your relationship with Christ has to be personal and it has to be right now. Right? And, and so that's kind of what Paul is doing. Is like He's like, hey, you need to understand that this is where you're at. Now can we get somewhere? And so he gets to chapter 4 and he's like, okay, so now I can teach you something. And he's like, I'm going to use some examples. He uses Abraham and David because he knows that the Jews are still listening, you know, and those are Jewish uh, prophets from back in the day. And he's like, hey, let's use these guys as examples for not only the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And this is where, again, the Jews are like, my mind is blown because how does this have anything to do with the Gentiles? Well, he's like, hey, we're going to use those as examples because it was only by faith that they had anything that they had, right? No different than us as Christians. It's only by faith that you have anything that you have. Your relationship with Christ is only by faith. It has nothing to do with the fact that you came to church today or that you've come to church for so many weeks. It's only by faith. It's only by the fact that you believe that getting up in the morning and opening the Word of God is going to show you something, right? It is all by faith. You know, it's the people who think, well, I've already read it, right? Or the last time I read it, I didn't get anything. It's only by faith that when I get up in the morning and I open this book, I believe God's going to show me something. It, I, you think I haven't read it before, right? Uh, I, I've been reading... 
all this tell you. I've been reading Joshua over and over and over again, right? And it's like, you think I haven't read it before? And again, God is just showing me things over and over and over again. And it's like, it's only by faith that I come and I say, God, show me something new, right? Give me something that I can, that I can, you know, use. And so, it is only by faith. And that's what he says in chapter 4. He uses uh, Abraham and David as examples of how it's faith that saves. It's not about your good works. It's nothing else, right? And so basically, he uses chapter 4 to conclude that faith is what is going to save us. It's nothing to do with your works. It's nothing to do with your circumcision, right? It's nothing to do with your law from the past. It's only by faith, right? And you'll notice that you know, as we kind of go through this chapter by chapter, because we went through it really slow. You know, we went chapter by chapter, but each chapter took several weeks. You'll see how it kind of builds on each other. So now he's, you know, put everybody in the same boat. You're all a bunch of wicked sinners. You all need Christ, right? And then he's like, okay, so now that I've said that, uh, what hope is there for? What, what hope is there? Oh, it's by faith, right? So now he said, the only way you're going to get anything is by faith. Then he rolls into chapter 5, and he's like, well, I'm really glad that you want to know what hope there is for you. Because you get into chapter 5, and, you know, they're basically, at that point, they're like, what now? Well, where are we at now? So you get to chapter 5, and you say, okay, I've spent a lot of time showing you that you're not as good as you think you are, so now let me let me give you something that's good for you. Let me let me give you, a, like, a check mark in your column, right? And it's like, you can be justified. You can be what you think you were, right? You can be the carpenter that you thought you were, right? You can be the Christian that you thought you were, but it has nothing to do with how good you were. It's all about being justified. Well, how are we justified? It's the blood of Christ, right? And it's only the blood of Christ. And it's always it's always only going to be the blood of Christ. That's, that's the answer, right? So our justification comes from Christ alone, not Christ and some ministry work, not Christ and some church attendance, not Christ and, you know, some whatever, right? Too often that's what we like to do is we have this and a little bit of that. Like, no. At the end of the day, if somebody doesn't want to be in the ministry, that's on them. But it has nothing to do with their salvation, right? Now, I I would venture to say that maybe they don't completely understand the benefits of ministry and whatnot, but just because somebody isn't in ministry, just because somebody isn't in this side or the other doesn't mean that you know they're lost. They just don't completely understand all the benefits that come with it. But justification comes from Christ alone. The thing that will make you clean before Christ when you stand isn't, well, I did a lot of stuff in the ministry, or you know, I was at church three times a week every week from you know the day I got... None of that matters. It is Christ. How did you apply the blood of Christ to your life? That is justification. right? That alone should set you free. And it does. So he, he basically concludes that faith is what's going to save us. He gets to chapter 5. He says justification. And he basically tells them that without the blood of Christ... You're hopeless. I don't care if you're circumcised or, you know, if you've been to, you know, the synagogue all your life, you're hopeless without the blood of Christ. So basically he compares the first Adam, he, he finishes chapter 5 with comparing the first Adam to the last Adam. Go to uh, chapter 5, verse 19. He says, For as one man's disobedience, he's talking about Adam when he says that, For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. It is only because Adam sinned first that you were made that way. It isn't because you chose to sin. You sin because that's the way you were made, right? And so it's not like a chicken or the egg kind of thing. You sin because you have to sin, because that's what you're made of, right? Your daddy Adam made it that way. So as one man's disobedience, uh, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one would be the second Adam, Jesus Christ, many shall be made righteous, right? He finishes it all by that. He's like, hey... 
you're wicked, you're in the boat of the sinners because of the first Adam. You know, sorry, that's just the way it is. You can be out of the boat by the second Adam, right? But you have to do something for that. You have to accept it by faith, right? That's what he said. And so basically he's, he's laid it all out there to say you're not as good as you think you are. You're really uh, hopeless without Christ. You can have Christ if you just simply accept it, you know, but you have to accept it, right? You no, you no longer have to be there. And so he's basically building this, this argument of there is hope for you, but if, if you don't accept it, it doesn't do any good. There's going to be a lot of religious people that go to hell for eternity that did a lot of good things in the church, right? That knew a lot about their Bible, but they never applied it and actually said, you know what, yeah, I need that. There's too many self-righteous people that are like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I thought I got saved, but you know, there really was no change in my life, but now I've claimed it for so long that it's going to embarrass me if I just you know, have to actually bow my knee, so I'm just going to continue with the facade and hope that my good works are going to get me there. Well, guess what? That's not going to do you anything. You, you will, there will be a lot of religious people in hell that want to stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment for them and say, but I did all these things, you know, and, and Christ is going to be like, man, that this stuff is all going to burn. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. You know, without the blood of Christ, you're hopeless. Go back to Exodus, right? They're trying to get out of Egypt and God's like, hey, there's one way out, right? I'm going to come, I'm going to come through, I'm going to kill all the firstborn, right? Including you, Israel, if you don't take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, right? That's a picture we look at it and we're like, well, that seems weird. You're going to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the post of the house. That's weird. Okay, well, it's a picture of what happens in the New Testament. You have to take the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, put it on the doorpost of your heart, meaning I'm saying that, hey, the death angel's passing over me because I've got Christ and you can't touch me. Right? That's the whole picture of what's going on in the Old Testament. That's why I want to get back to the Old Testament because the pictures there, are they bring out what the New Testament says. So he concludes that, you know, he compares the first Adam to the last Adam. He gets to chapter 6, and this is kind of where a lot of people are at. They get saved, right? They, they accept the justification, but they're like, well, now what? Right? This is where a lot of Christians are today. They're like, uh, okay, I've got that. I just don't know what to do now. Or, I'll just be blunt, I'm too lazy to do what needs to be done now. Right? I, I've, I've got my get into heaven free ticket, right? I, I'm saved. I just don't want to do the rest of it, right? I don't want to do the work, right? So this is where chapter 6 comes in. He basically says, now that you're justified, what comes next? Well, it's called sanctification, right? You can only be justified once. Justification happens, you know, salvation, justification, that happens in an instant, right? Christ, come into my life, right? I'm a wicked sinner. I don't want to be that way. I know the only way to not be that way is accept you. I believe that you, you know, came, you know, all of that, right? The, the gospel, that happens in an instant. Sanctification, man, that takes a lifetime. And you're never going to arrive, but man, you're going to be more like Christ every day. And so that's what happens. You get to chapter 6 and you say, they say, well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So basically what you've said is, I'm justified, I can do whatever I want because I can't lose my salvation, Paul. And Paul's like, no, you not smart person. Like, no, that is... Uh, well, I was going to say something else and I decided I probably shouldn't, so... No. Like, no, you're not going to continue in sin because now that you're saved. No. He's like, God forbid. How, how what does it say? It says that, uh, uh, how, that we are, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I'd have been better off just quoting it instead of trying to read. I can't read. Right? No, that's not the case. You get to chapter 6 and he's like, well, what next? Sanctification. He, he goes on in chapter 6. Basically, he says, because you're free from sin, now what? Right? Because you're free from sin, now what? Well, you have a choice now. 
right? And you'll notice how this builds right into chapter 7. Now that you've decided, I want Christ, right? Well, now all that did was prove that you have a choice to sin or to not to sin, right? You have a choice. A bad thing comes along in your life, or not even a bad thing. Sometimes a good thing for the wrong reasons comes along in your life, and you now have a choice. Before you had no choice, you were bound to sin, right? You might make the right choice once, but you're never going to make it over and over again, right? I've used that as a witnessing tool to people before. They're like, well, I don't, I don't need all that religion stuff. I'm like, you're right, I don't either, right? Nobody really needs all that religion stuff, but you can't not sin. At least I have the choice to now, right? As born again believer, I can choose right from wrong. A lot of times I choose wrong. That's just the way we are. We'll get into chapter 7. We'll talk about that. But when you're witnessing to a lost person, they have no choice but to do the wrong thing. And they're like, yeah, let me show you I can do the right thing. I'm like, okay, yeah, do it. Just just for a day, right? Just for a day, do the right thing every time. Think the right thing every time. And you can lie to me and say that you did that, but you know you're lying in, in your own heart, in your own conscience, you're going to realize there was some truth to what that guy was telling me. At least at the end of the day when I lay down at night, I know that I knew right from wrong. And I know that God gave me the ability to choose the right thing every time. I just sometimes chose not to. Whereas a lost man, I had no choice, right? Because I had no hope. So that's what he's saying in chapter 6 is, because we're free from sin, now what? Well, you have a choice. You have a choice to either serve God or to serve you. Romans 6.23, another verse you should know, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Like, when you choose wrong, there's a wage for that, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Right? Another Romans Road verse. He's, he's basically making the case for somebody who is lost, and he's also confirming the case for somebody who's saved. Like, the wages of sin is death, but that's not for you. Like, you have a choice to do better now. That's what Romans 6 proves, is now you have the ability to not do that anymore. Right? Then you get into chapter 7. This is everybody's favorite chapter in the book of Romans, because like you don't understand what he's, got, what he's trying to say. Right? He's like, well, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but I don't do the things that I ought to do, and then I think the things that maybe I shouldn't have thought. And like, what did he just say? Right? And so that's kind of what Romans 7 is about. Is like, chapter 6 ends with you having a choice, right? Chapter 7 explains why making the choice is so hard. Why is making the choice so hard? If you're saved and you know right from wrong, why is it so hard to do the right thing? We spent several weeks talking about this. Like, why is it so hard to do the right thing when you know what the right thing is and you, you know, you're already saved? It's not like you're lost. Like, why is it so hard to do the right thing? You're stinking flesh, man. Because you are a born again believer, your soul is now set free inside a body that doesn't want to be set free. Right? My body wants to do all the wrong things. Right? My body wants to see all the wrong things. My body wants to say all the wrong things. My body wants to be happy. My body wants to be on the beach all the time. Right? <laughs> all the time. But guess what? It can't be like that. As much as I want to convince my wife that, you know what? We can like be missionaries to the beach. Right? We'll just hang out on the beach and we'll talk to people as they walk by. Right? <laughs> this crafty dude. <laughs> that can't be the way. Right? Right? we at some point have to do the right thing because it's the right thing, right? Not just because it's the right thing, because it's the godly thing. That's what he's trying to say. Chapter 7 explains all that. Why it's such a hard thing to do the right thing. It's because you are saved, but you live inside a body that really doesn't want to be. Well, guess what? You're going to get a new body, so it's not going to be like that forever. So figure out a way to not feed the flesh until you get the new body. Like that's It's not hard in here, it's just really hard to live out, right? It's kind of like going on a, uh, a diet. It's it's really easy to tell myself, well, if I just do this, this, and this, then I'll look like I want to look. 
But then it's just like, but I'm so hungry, and ice cream's so good, right? And like all the stuff, you know? It's like, that's the same thing, right? It's easy to say, well, yeah, I want this because I want the results. Well, yeah, I want to live godly because obviously I want to make God the Father happy. But it's just so hard sometimes, right? And like it's the same thing. That's what Romans 7 talks about. Right, and it it really does explain it when you when you slow down, because too often when people read Romans seven, are like, I don't understand that. I guess I'm just not going to read it. Wait, we'll slow down and take it sentence by sentence, and it's a lot easier to understand. Okay, that's Romans seven. You get to chapter eight, and it's like this is the victory chapter. So he's done all this to say, man, you're messed up, but there's hope, but you have to be able to live it out. And then you get to Romans eight, and this is like, you know, pump your fist chapter. Right? He's finally like. There is no... Read chapter chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore... Meaning, if you can just learn how to not feed the flesh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are, how you wake up sometimes and you're just like, man, I am not what I want to be. Like There is there now, no, now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Now, if you're not saved, there's a whole lot of condemnation. Sorry, that's just the way that it is. But he's already said that it's really easy to rectify. Just... By faith, accept it. But if you are saved, like there's no condemnation, so stop living like you're all beat up from the world. I mean, it doesn't matter your circumstances. Like, learn how to give God the, the the glory anyway. Because guess what? This life is but a vapor. Like eternity is going to make this seem like a blink. Now I know it's hard to see that sometimes because we get caught up in our circumstances and we're like, man, if this would just happen, then this 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 could happen. It's like, okay, well, guess what? This is like nothing compared to what it's hard to fathom eternity because our brains are are ingrained to think well I've only got X amount of years right you know I'm 35 not for very much longer but uh, I was reaffirmed here recently that I'm 35 like oh my gosh like I'm halfway dead right that's I mean that in my mind I'm like I'm halfway I'm halfway done right and my body tells me that when I wake up in the morning like I thought going on vacation for a couple weeks would help my body I went back to work for one day and I hurt worse than I did before I left I'm like oh my gosh I mean it didn't help we were you know demoing everything but it's like this is not good okay so our brains are ingrained to think we've only got so much time your brain doesn't comprehend eternity because eternity is forever there is no end so it's just like well it doesn't matter what I do today because I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow right? I have forever now Eternity is going to look different because you you have one purpose, and that's to glorify Christ. And so that's going to look a little different. But still, eternity, your brain doesn't comprehend that. So that's the whole point. He uses chapter 8 to say there's now no condemnation. right? And basically he says, if Christ has done all of this for us, then we only have one logical choice. right? Now there are some people that think, well, yeah, I want to get into heaven free ticket, but I still want to live for myself. Well, you never got past chapter six, right? That grace may abound, right? God forbid. You forgot that, so back up. But it, you have one logical choice that if Christ has done everything from chapter one all the way to chapter seven for me, if He's done all that for me, then there's like one logical choice to make. What is that? Right? To live in the Spirit. He says in, in verse twelve, chapter eight. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Meaning you owe something at this point. Now, you you have something to give. Your life. Right? You might as well just plan on giving it up because Christ has already done it all for you. You are debtors. If God is... He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? These, I, I go to this chapter sometimes because I'm just like beat up from the world. And I'm like, man, there is no hope. Like, no. If God is for us, who can be against us? He says these things, right? And then at the end of the chapter, he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. And he gives you some examples just in case you were wondering. 
He says, For I am persuaded of neither depth nor life, or, I'm sorry, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. That covers a whole lot of things, right? Basically, there is nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God other than your own mind. And your own mind doesn't do it, it just makes you think that you are. Right? You have everything you need at that point. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, he takes like a timeout. He's like, okay, timeout just for a second. We need to talk about the Jews, right? Because uh, there's something we need to talk about. So chapter 9, uh, Paul explains his burden for Israel. He's like, hey, just in case you were wondering, uh, I'm a Jew. Like, I, I have reason to, to care for these guys. I know you think I'm only writing to the Gentiles because you know I'm, I'm, I'm here to you know give the gospel to the Gentiles, but there's still purpose for the Jews, right? And he explains, chapter 9 is, it can get really dicey if you don't understand it. it. talks about the sovereignty of God, you know, and how God can really do whatever He wants to do, and, you know, as much as you like to have control over it, you don't really have any control over it, and, you know, some people take this chapter and they twist it up, and they like to say that you have no choice whether you get saved or not, it's already decided, and so, just a real quick recap of that, because this could be one of the biggest things people could mess up in Romans. Does God know before you ever got saved if you're going to get saved or not? Yes, God knows everything. right? God knows from the second that you were born whether in your lifetime you would get saved. So does that mean that you can just do whatever you want because God's decided you're going to get saved? No. God knows that eventually you're going to make the right choice. God also knows that some people will never make the right choice. Does that mean that they're hopeless? No. You know, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It just simply means that God knows. You have all of the decision to make, right? Every person in the world gets to make the decision on their own. Does that mean that God doesn't know what decision that's going to be? No. You guys, you should understand that by now, right? God knows, but you have every opportunity, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to decide whether you will or you won't, right? Just because God understands, He foreknows, right, doesn't mean that you have no choice in the matter. You have every choice in the matter. That's the whole point. Okay, so that's not good. So I lost my watch, and so now I've got the volume of my phone on, and so it like, drives me crazy. I hadn't had the volume of my phone on for years. I don't even want to talk about it. It's just irritating more than anything. I'll just, my wife told me so. I'll just say it, right? My wife was right, and I was wrong. Enough said. Okay. <laughs> That's the first step to... Uh, at this point, no. <laughs> anyway. So he gives examples of God's sovereignty. Stop. I, I'm willing to say it to her, not to you. Okay. Examples of God's sovereignty. Yeah, before I jumped off the cliff into the water, she's like, hey, should you take your watch off? I'm like, my watch doesn't ever come off. But guess what? My watch came off. Anyway. And, in chapter 9, he gives some examples of God's sovereignty. So, yeah, it was before we ever went on vacation. It was when we at the lake. Yeah. Here's the question for Romans chapter 9. Is God finished with Israel? Absolutely not. Right? As, not Absolutely not. He can't be. Right? There's, there's no way he can be because they're his chosen people. Right? So, you know, he's not finished. God is using the saving of the Gentiles to provoke jealousy to the, the Jews. That's all he's doing. He's basically trying to provoke the Jews to say, hey, if you're not going to take it, I'm going to give it to them. But he's really not because, you know, they were his chosen people. He's not gonna, God's not a liar. You know, so he's like, he's just using the fact that he's like, hey, well, fine, if you don't want to be married to me, then, you know, I'll just go out with this guy. Right? And then, like, well, wait a minute. Right? 
I, I thought I was your wife. Well, you are. That was the whole point. You know, I'm just trying to provoke you to jealousy. You know, that's that's what he's trying to do. So, what? So you don't know what you got. That's exactly right. Like my watch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I can't get through this all. We're gonna stop there. Like I said, this is very teachy, but at the same time, hearing it like chapter by chapter by chapter kind of sees how Paul was building this thing out. So we'll finish this up and then I'm going to give you a slight introduction to where we're going next week and then uh, be gone for a couple weeks. We've got Fabulous Fifth and whatnot. And then uh, in like the, the first or second week of September, whenever after the Fabulous Fifth, or no, after Labor Day, yeah, we'll start uh, we'll start the book of Joshua, which we're not, te- I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but that's where we're going. So with that, let's pray. We'll get out of here. I'll finish wrapping this up next week, and then we'll get into kind of an intro of where we're going and why we're going there. Because, you know, I don't just pick a book out randomly and it's like, hey, that sounds like a good place to be. Like the reasoning behind it and kind of what God's given me, and so we'll go from there. So um, let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for uh, even a, a morning like this morning where it seems like we're just giving facts, Lord, but we understand that no matter what you do, uh, in our lives or in your word, uh, there's purpose behind it. So, Lord, I do pray that um, that this was uh, good just to, to refresh our minds and understand that uh, we have uh, all of the answers right here, even in the book of Romans, uh, to lead people to Christ, to show people uh, how they're not as good as they think they are and really, at, at the end of the day, how they're sinners, Lord, and how um, the only way uh, to have anything uh, is through your blood and it's not going to church or anything else so Lord I do pray that we would use this uh, even this week to uh, lead people to Christ that we would show people that you know you you are the way the truth and the life Lord so uh, Lord I do pray that you would send us out as lights in a dark world that you would just continue to give us direction Lord I pray that you keep us safe as we're uh, out this week doing different things I pray for uh, our kiddos as uh, we're getting them back in the back to school time and all the different things that go along with that and uh, Lord, I do pray that uh, we're just being uh, lights uh, to a dark world uh, because that's what we're called to do, Lord. So I pray you just uh, bless the message, the message this morning from uh, Pastor Brian that you just anoint his words and that uh, it would just be a word fitly spoken uh, to the hearts of the people. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Should we?